All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to dive into our sponsor, our favorite sponsor, and frankly, the only thing I can find that's an actual magic charity. And I love these guys. They're in Minnesota, so they're dear to my heart. Magickids.org. That's M-A-G-I kids.org. They're there to help audiences, whether it's at school, whether it's in a magic community or group, and get new players taught and trained in on this wonderful hobby of ours. Certainly check them out. Again, magickids.org. You can go on their website. You can donate. You can donate your cards even. They'll certainly accept those. They make kits to send to those groups and organizations to train kids for magic. And you can also become a volunteer and become a teacher in those. I see a lot of homeschooling groups on there. It's a fantastic program. Certainly donate your money, your cards, or become a volunteer. Magickids.org. And let's kick the show. Welcome. Welcome. To this week in MTG with your host, Rob Zolson. What up, my party people? Welcome to this week in MTG. So let's dive right in to the goodness because we have the entire set of Throne of Eldraine finally released and it looks great. It's about time. It's flavorful. It's going to have a power curve and standard. And there. There's going to be modern and, of course, commander pieces coming out of this because they're heavily investing in Brawl. Oh, yeah. So I'm excited. Again, I'm Rob Zolson, your host, and today we have with us the Bacon Man. Hello. Hello, hello. And we have a special honorary guest. We have Zach from MTG JSON. Introduce yourself, sir. Hey, everyone. Uh, MTG JSON is my big data platform that provides magic data for anyone who wants to do something with magic and just wants to get into coding or something along those lines. Fantastic. Well, so we're going to do a interview in the second half of the podcast, keep the format, so we're going to dive right into the news. And Bacon, what do we got for upcoming festivals? All right, so Magic Fest, we got October 4th in Montreal and October 11th in, I believe I looked this up a couple of times, Utrecht. Now, what we did is we actually took the name of the city, put it into Google Translate, and that's what it gave us. So Something like that, yeah. Please correct us. Go on our Twitter. U-T-R-E-C-H-T. You know, let us know, you know, if we're, or we're mispronouncing that, but uh, I think we got that down. Well, tried to. So, tried to. this weekend, again, is the grand pre-release weekend that everybody's going to uh, go to their local game stores, get Two-Headed Giant rolling, get Singles rolling, and... You know, hopefully crack those amazing date stamp promo foils and uh, bring home the real prize. You know, the, the bragging rights of your local game store champion at pre-release. Now that we have all the leaks, finance is pretty quiet. So if we look into, you know, the card trends, again, everybody's focusing on what the prices are going to be coming this weekend. So the only things in finance that we're seeing is cards like Equilibrium. It's a three-drop enchantment from 7th edition. And whenever you play a creature card, you may pay one mana. If you do, return creature to its owner's hand. So we're just seeing a lot of these, you know, potential reuse abilities for adventure cards. And not a whole lot else. There's a couple others, but they're not real big enough spikes. Even like, you know, Necropotence, essentially a commander staple. Everything's pretty quiet. We're seeing even a couple dips. So everybody just wants to see where Throne of Eldraine sits and... They're not uh, not touching much else. 
going in to the actual spoilers. So this week we got the final spoilers, and I'm a mill player. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And when you're playing in limited, and especially in draft environments, and you're seeing that little bit of mill, and you're only using 40 cards for these pre-releases, don't be afraid to grab that common card and use a little bit of mill in your deck. It's very effective when they only have a 40-card deck. Mm -hmm. So some of the... Highlights that we saw at either a common or uncommon uh, state is flings back in standard, guys. So hopefully oh we can pump up some big things, throw it in people's faces. And there's also some common, you know, control cards. And what I like to point out these is specifically for draft. People that are just getting into magic don't really understand the value of removal and even the enchantment style removal. So Charm Sleep is a three drop, one colorless, two blue enchantment aura that when it enters, tap Enchanted Creature, and it doesn't untap during its controller's unstep. That's a real great form of removal in these drafts, so i just like to point those out, because everybody's hyping, oh, this great Mythic, oh, that great Rare. But these types of staples are what you're looking for in Draft Pool, because you're only going to get you know three Rares out of your first sets that maybe you can use. However, if you get a Garrick, please play it. Yeah, suddenly I got no black or green cards, but I got a Garrick. Well, you're going to use those uh, colorless cards in, in your pool and uh, make him work somehow. Or splash a couple colors. What do you mean? You could even grab a, uh, a Frogify. Oh, you got to read that card. So Frogify. It is one colorless, one blue. Enchant creature. Enchant creature loses all abilities and is a blue frog creature with base power toughness 1-1. One, one. That end... just need to find the princess to uh, remove the Frogify yeah. effect. <laughs> Yeah, maybe there should, uh, should be like, uh, you know, kiss uh, and and remove it. But, again, the set is very... <gasps> they did. They did. They did. They did. <laughs> oh, boy. He found the kiss. I did. Uh, True Love's Kiss. Exile target artifact or enchantment. Draw a card for two colors and two white. It doesn't... Okay, that's amazing. It, it, it matches <laughs> I re- up. I remember I read that earlier. <laughs> so the other points I want to make is when you're drafting in these pools, you know, the keyword adventure... You know, some people will see it, they're not accustomed to it, maybe think it's a it's a weakness. Don't be afraid. That is gas, because if you only have X amount of cards in your hand, essentially that's two cards for one, one draw. So you get to play the adventure, and then you get to play the creature later. That, especially in a small limited pool of 40 cards, means a lot of, you know, advantage, card advantage in your hand. Don't be afraid of I've doing I've been watching else. some streams today, and it's just the adventure mechanic is... With how much advantage you get over your opponent, especially if you get some of the rare ones with the very cool effects, such as destroying something or taking the card back to your hand and just keep replaying it over and over again. Absolutely. That, and we see that they have a unique wall that was actually released. Crashing Drawbridge, it's a common. It's two, uh, two mana of any color. Defender, zero four. You can tap it to give another creature you control haste. So this, again... Especially in limited, you don't have to worry about mana fixing. You can cast it real quick for two mana. And later, when you uh, drop that big bomb, you can give it haste when you need to. So it's really flexible, great for a draft pool. There's a lot of great commons in here. Just be aware. Do your homework before the set. And there's a lot of experts out there. I know Channel Fireball with Louis Scott Varus. Um, he really goes into detail of what's good and what's not in these limited pools and then gives a rating to I like at the bottom that you don't see many other places is a rating of the best commons and uncommons to use in those uh those pools check those out do your homework before pre-release again we're shooting this on a Thursday night not all the colors have come out for uh, Channel Fireball so before your tournament those will all be out certainly check those out 
they're there for your advantage in the tournament. So, um, a new Murphuck came out, and this one I'm actually happy for. Let's hear it. Emery, Lurker of the Lock. Uh, it's a legendary creature, Murfolk Wizard. It is a rare. Um, so, this spell costs one less to cast for each artifact you control. Uh, when Emery, Lurker of the Lock, enters the, ba- enters the battlefield, put the top four cards of your library into your graveyard. Tap it. Choose target artifact from your graveyard. You may cast it this turn. This so, card sounds like a standard staple to oh, me. Oh, sorry. It's two colors and one blue, by the way. So that is definitely going to be a staple, but it also is on the list. The you know Tellurian Community College, the professor, put it on his list for possible things that are going to be used in modern, especially when we see the Wurza combo. We're going to see a lot of those artifacts um, being reused, and this is just another way to get that done. I mean, I'm going to make a commander deck out of it. Can't wait. For those that don't know, Bacon is a mono blue fish player and uh, pretty avid at that. Well, mono blue or, you know, just straight fish. And I do I do blue green. Yeah, you'll, you'll throw in those Ixalan things right before they rotate. Absolutely. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Day before rotation, just make a whole deck with all the stuff that's going to rotate out. Why not? So the only other pieces to go over, and I went over them last week, is... Don't be afraid to use cards. Um, I mentioned Mill before, but don't be afraid to use the cards that have disadvantage with Adventure just because they're card value. So, again, normally you get the the two um, spells. So you get the Adventure, then you get the Creature, so it's just card value. But you'll see commons like Rimrock Knight. Again, the Creature can't block, but it's still a Creature. Just because it's the common and it may not seem as much value as another Creature. Two cards for the slot of one. I cannot understate how valuable that is. And then the lands. So the common land cycle or even the rare land cycle are extremely powerful. The blue one is my personal favorite. But in limited, the red is even good because, again, when you bring it in and you're using mountains, it'll give you a creature on a land. And in a 40-card deck that you're drafting out of, excellent power. So give that a try. These lands, I'm telling you, they're going to see a lot of play, especially with fetchable. And Fabled Passage in itself, they're just printing Evolving Wilds, but said, eh, let's make it even better than before. That'll definitely be a commander staple, because in multicolor decks, three colors or more, Evolving Wilds is an auto-include, just to make sure you have the fixing. This allows to do it with an upside. It's just strictly better. Of course, Terramorphic Expanse, Evolving Wilds, they can't be beaten. These are very format-defining cards, and they're going to give good mana fixing in the new set. So, going past the releases, because now we have the full set out, I want to focus on Standard, and the deck that we picked this week is Simic Flash. Now, I'm going to make a bet here, that after rotation, again, everything's open to grab there, everybody's trying to guess what the metagame will be, and my bet is 100% on Simic Flash because of the new mechanics and tricks that you're seeing put out in Throne of Eldraine to add to the power of this deck. And right now... It's still getting great stats. It's just going to be that much better after rotation. So Simic Flash is based upon the idea that your creatures can be used all at flash. So it's using right now Merfolk Trickster, which will certainly rotate out of uh, standard. But it's also using a lot of the Enter the Battlefield effects like Frilled Mystic, which is, again, it's a four-drop total, and it allows you to counter a spell when it enters the battlefield. So it's doing everything on the back pedal, but there's so many more flash cards coming in uh, Throne. This is going to be the deck. Certainly check it out. mtggoldfish.com. You can just uh, click metagame, 
and you'll see the standard list. And that really gives you a feel of what's offered for proven decks. And these are proven with real tournament stats, not just because, you know, someone featured it and they thought it was cool. These show real win percentages and then the players and modifications that make them diverse between each other's builds. So go check it out, mtggoldfish.com. Simic Flash is really disgusting. It's going to get that much better after rotation. I saw Saffron Olive today playing an updated version, and it looked very scary, especially when you start getting in some of these two-for-one cards with Adventure. I got to look that up. I, I missed out. Normally, I'm uh, pretty avid on his videos, but he is a really aggressive content creator to make sure that he has a lot of video and content out. So kudos to Saf. So the next deck for Modern that I like to uh, feature, normally we do a, mo a Modern deck and then a budget Modern deck. This is actually both. We're seeing this uh, come to prominence. It's Mono Red Blitz is the name. It's definitely a bit less traditional than Burn. It's more of just a creature aggro combo. It's using Monastery Swift Spear like normal, but it's also using four Soul, uh, soul Scar Mages, which is a one drop, one two from Amonkhet with Prowess. So it has the same trigger. And they feature either Runaway Steamkin and Bedlam Reveler, or they're doing, you know, um, Kiln Fiend, which is a two drop. It was actually last reprinted in Iconic Masters. And whatever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it gets 3 0 until end of turn. So they're really just changing this into, instead of just a straight burn to your face, really focusing more creatures using, you know, stuff like Crash Through, Reckless Charge to buff up your creatures and get that last bit of damage. And they're adding Mana more for more draw potential and more cast potential to use those prowess triggers up and light up the stage because that is the new card after the bannings. Especially in any burn deck, you're able to get off those small light hits so you can use its spectacle cost. Even Lava Dart, one for one damage. Ping a token. Get a I'm very impressed with how this deck is turning out. I've seen it played a few times. And it's just the way they're able to refill their hands so quickly with light up the stage. It's a deck that's to be reckoned with. It also has some fun uh, kits in the sideboard. So some of these uh, builds that they have in here mix it up. But we're seeing Shrine of Burning Rage in almost every build. It's a two-drop artifact from Scars of Mirrodin. And at the beginning of your upkeep, or whenever you cast a red spell, put a counter, a charge counter on Shrine of Burning Rage. Uh, pay three mana, uh, tap it, and sacrifice to deal damage equal to the number of charge counters. So they're still able to utilize all of these buff mechanics, even though the creatures may be blocked somehow, and turn that into traditional burn damage. So the number of games won by Shrine of Burning Rage, it's a pretty high proportion. You just never expect it, and then all of a sudden you're at, like, 11 life, and they're like, oh, by the way, you're dead now. It works really well, and they're using, you know, a lot of uh, um, extra gas, like Dragon's Claw, which you normally see in, like, a traditional Scred deck. They're pulling into this just to make sure that if you're, you know, going against Burn, they're not going to lose out, and they're able to do their creature, uh, creature shenanigans. So check it out. This deck right now is fluctuating between 200 to $215, and... That's why I really put this as the combination modern modern budget deck. It's certainly worth a, a check. It's getting real numbers in tournaments. Go give it a try. And again, this is also hosted at MTG Goldfish. So click uh, the metagame, select modern, and you'll see it right in the top 
12 in the list. So it's certainly getting a, a good impression in the market. Other news this week is, I'm, I'm sad to see this, but Magic quietly removed the banned players list. So on their website, you would see suspended DCI memberships for players and are able to look someone up to see you know if they are. I'm assuming stores still have access to this, but it's no longer accessible to the public. It's just disconcerting because if we don't have visibility of this, it just allows more shenanigans to happen in the background or po the potential of. You know, Magic's still going to ban uh, band members where they see fit, but us knowing about it certainly matters, so we're more aware of the players in our play spaces. And, you know, we go on Reddit, and there was a famous player that was just banned this January, and that's the big meme is, oh, no, they're going to remove his lifetime membership. And it was, uh, Alexander, you were telling me his last name, Zach, before the podcast started. Burton Cini, something along those lines. I can never pronounce it correctly, but you know, it's it's essentially for players like uh, like those where you know there's a whole lot of uh, PR going behind it, and they just they want to see what's going on, or or if they do get unbanned, as to the articles of why and what changed to really show how other players can mature in their gameplay. So, you know, maybe they can bring that back, but it was silently removed, and it's it is a little disappointing. That's for sure. The internal discussions we've been having, it's probably GDP-related, where certain information can't be posted, right to be forgotten, somewhere along those lines. Yeah, maybe that's it. You never know, but we hate to see it go. So next item on the list is the infamous $450 Deluxe Box Bundle Collection. Why? I understand that Wizards is you know, owned by Hasbro, they're there to make a profit. And they did these limited boxes that were sold direct to market, and they worked. Frankly, we get these Planeswalkers kits, and they sold quite well, and they're going to continue to do the process of these direct-to-market, no-middlemen plays. But it's, number one, hurting the local game store, which fuels these communities. Number two, it's a greedy move, because... Most of the time, these cards can be accessed in other sets. You're not getting that big of a value. Even the professor made a big video on this this week, and you know, four hundred and fifty dollars for what they offer in that set. the The small poster that they offer is not even exclusive. You can purchase that directly from the artist. It's not a limited print by any means, and you can get a larger print of it directly from the vendor for a cheaper price. It's just a cash grab, and I think this is finally going to be the limit of players' wallets, but time will only tell. From what I've seen, essentially you're paying for 16 collector edition boosters at an even more marked up price. Take it or leave it. You know, people say maybe it's the binder. You know, you're getting that you know special purple uh, Magic the Gathering logo on there, but it's just the same you know um, nine slot binder that you can buy anywhere else. And frankly. They were even showing that you can get an extra roll of slots with other binders for higher quality. So it's nothing that necessarily people have to have unless you want that special bordered Garuk and are willing to empty your wallet for it. It's just uh, it's frustrating. And then seeing, because we talked about last week, the $400 collector's uh, boxes, it's just... I don't know where this is gonna where this is gonna set. It's certainly hurting stores. I mentioned this last week is when people are trying to pre-order these, Stores have to pre-order them as well, or they risk not having them in stock. So when they're trying to guess what people are going to purchase, 
They have no MSRP on a new product that's never been done before, and they have their same traditional boxes and then a collector's version of them right to their right-hand side. They don't know what the what that's going to do to the normal box set and box prices, so people aren't pre-ordering, and it's just hurting the stores. If we had MSRP, that would have fixed this because the store can look at MSRP and say, sure, people may not buy it, but at least we know it has a market value and I'm able to take a risk on that product. Now, if they buy $400 boxes and their cost is $360, well, what if it drops to $280? Then they're going to be selling them at a loss. The stores aren't making much money on that $40 profit in the first place. What are you going to do? It's just not a great scenario any way you look at it, and this $450 box is a, is a small spit in the face. Small? It's money. It's still worth, worth something, but not <laughs> worth that. This $450 box also comes with the non-foil version of Kenrith, which is kind of cool, but I find it weird how the non-foil version will become more expensive than the foil version. I never even thought of that. That's Mm-mm. that's a terrible thought. I guess people don't they don't want the curved foiling from uh, warping. Then the curved uh, foiling. They better spend four hundred and fifty dollars for it. Oh darn! <laughs> so one other addition is you brought up Zach that they added, errated some cards for the noble subtype to like twenty cards. Yep, they updated a lot of cards to give them the subtype. Good for and mostly based on legendary creatures. However, two notable cards that did not get the Noble type were Elephant Noble and Noble Hierarch. Well, I mean, Noble Hierarch, I can see why, because they're, they're scared of getting it any type of creature type. It's already a very expensive card. Their luck is it's going to be part of this Noble deck that's going to come out in the future when they decide to do some sort of keyword. So that's just a protection of power, but come on, give it to the Elephant. <laughs> the Elephant did nothing to you, and he is an aristocrat that deserves the Noble keyword, sir. The last piece on our news, you gotta you gotta end something on good. You know, this was a frustrating bit of news that we had with the DCI moves, the high price point. But damn it, I am hyped for Throne of Eldraine, and I love this uh, particular card. Lovestruck Beast is a three drop Beast Noble, and it has an adventure keyword, Heart's Desire. So pay one for the sorcery adventure, create a one one human creature token. Then the normal creature ability is a 5-5 Beast Noble. Lovestruck Beast can't attack unless you control a 1-1 creature. So these cards come out. A lot of times they get rules text beyond the card. We'll call them uh, flavor rulings for this card. And it just reminds you that you don't have to attack with a 1-1 creature for Lovestruck Beast to be able to attack. You just need to control a 1-1 creature. Once Lovestruck Beast is attacking, it remains attacking even though you could no longer control a 1-1 creature. If Lovestruck Beast's power and toughness is somehow reduced to equal 1-1, it will learn to love itself. (laughs) And in its true path to happiness, can attack even though you control no other (laughs) 1-1 creatures. Learn to love itself. I love having a 1-1 for 1 in limited and then it's also a 5-5 five, five for 3 that can come into play and the collector booster art is just so amazing it might be the one card I splurge on you better even even the uh, generic art I mean it's got this looks like he's holding flowers next to a uh, you know sad human the, the flavor of this whole set is just on point and this is no exception 
they're even adding flavors to the uh, competitive rulings. So, Zach, I want to hear more about you, and so do our listeners. So, you are the head developer, owner of MTG JSON. Please give us some more information. Hi, everyone. My name is Zach. I'm 22 years old, and I'm based out of New York. My favorite card has to be Feldegriff, and I started playing Magic somewhere in the Theros time. So the MTG JSON project is a fairly large size open source project where I collect a lot of data relating to Magic cards, sets, everything that could be interpreted, and give it back to the community in a way that's easily accessible, machine-readable, and most importantly, free. I feel that open source development is the driving force behind innovation, and by giving the community something to work with, I know that they can give back. I've seen several research papers written. I've seen a lot of great sites come about from it, such as Scryfall. And there's just so much that can be done with magic data if it's easily accessible. Gatherer makes it a bit hard for people to get what they need. So we're trying to fix that. Well, perfect. So before we get into more of the program, let's uh, a little bit about you. What you know prompted you to build this tool? I inherited this project from a great friend, Serge, about three years ago. I joined on the project after working on a few other open source things, and together we realized this is great what we're doing, but how can we take it to the next level? So we started planning it out, figuring out what we wanted to do, and unfortunately, Serge had a life event, had to pull away from the project, left it in my hands. I spent about nine months building the entire system from scratch again and giving the community one of the best products out there on the market. That's perfect. So when did, so Surge was the one that started it, correct? Surge inherited it as well. I'm actually the third owner now of the project. It was originally done by Rob. I'm blanking on his last name. Very great guy. He's done a lot of great products for different communities, such as Hearthstone, Jason, and overall, Every time a new owner is taken over the project, they rebuild it from scratch, give a solid baseline, and improve the product even more. Well, that just stands testament to the open source practices. But So how long ago did Rob create the tool? And not me, by the way. I, I would love to take credit for this, but I'm not a your host, Rob Zolson. <laughs> Very nice. I have to think back a bit. I want to say somewhere 2012, 2013 range. I started the project around 2015-ish, and I've been with it since. But even though I'm the main face of the group, I'm nothing without the people behind me, such as Eric, Martin, and Mark. Together, we put together the best product available. So shout out to those guys uh, for some love. So the database that you speak of, again, you mentioned that it has a, the car database, product database. What things do you itemize in the MTG JSON database that's of value? A lot of things that we break down for people no one would ever expect, such as we break down types, super type, subtype, card type. We give you different converted mana costs. We give you related cards, such as cards have multiple entries. So with the multiple entries, you need to be able to link between them. And then I add in some information that I think is not useful to most but for that small subset, they're going to love it, such as we have pricing data, which is updated on a weekly, soon-to-be daily basis, as well as we have uh, purchase links for people who want to integrate buying the cards within their own projects. I know of several projects who 
always keep reaching out to me, asking me, can I do this? Can I do that? And I've made it my effort and my goal to try and satisfy as many people as I can most of the time with what I do. Perfect. That uh, certainly helps out. So what, you guys are the database, right? So what tools are you guys supporting? Again, you're the database. What other apps that runs on your database? On our specific database, if you look on the website, mtgjson.com, you can see a list of all the different sites that use our work. Some of the biggest ones right now are Card Hoarder, who has been a longtime supporter of my project, as well as newer projects such as Cardboard Live, Cockatrice, MTG Brewmaster, Cardsphere, as well as the Loading Ready Run Crew and Cube Tutor, just to name a short handful. So I'm actually seeing this, and this is a, a real diverse mix on your website that you have listed. Everything from open source projects to closed source markets, even like a TCG player I see on here, Troll and Toad. There's a lot of people using your database. This is this is quite the list. And I, I have one other question. Now that I'm in the list, I see Tamio Discord Bot. I, I definitely got to look into that. That looks a lot of fun. There are a lot of great projects that the community has made, and not only do I want people to use my stuff, I want to see what they make. These amazing tools that come about from the community. Every time someone sends me a project that is live, I will gladly add it to the homepage, give them the recognition they deserve for putting in the time to understand how to code, what makes a good product, and what does Magic the Gathering data do for them. So... One question that I'd like to have, especially in these open source tools, because I've talked to closed source uh, developers, open source developers, what is what is your you know um, developing uh, priorities look like? How does it happen back in the lab? Do you guys have a, a Kanban board? You know, what's the inspiration where you're collaborating with other open source developers on your tool? How does that uh, really prioritize into features? So currently, most of the features just come right in through GitHub. Normally, I prune through different databases around the internet because pull from seven different sources, trying to understand what they've been doing and changing, as well as listening to what my Patreon supporters say. On Patreon, everyone who is at the mythic level is able to reach out directly to me, and any concern they have, I'll get a fix in, which is one of my favorite parts. People are actively able to contribute back into what they love. That's perfect. So... Compared to other solutions, there's got to be something on the market. You know, what makes MTGJSON one of the best tools to choose? MTGJSON gives users the freedom not to having to scrape, to parse, to handle all of the different exception cases that come about because not every site has all the data you're looking for. You need to figure out the piece by piece. I've tried my best to give them everything in one central location. However, this brings up the XKCD comic of there are 13 competing standards. I'll make my own. Now there are 14 competing standards. <laughs> that, that does happen all too often. If I want to you know, utilize this, what's the best way of going about? Just go to your website, sign up, make an account, uh, contact you. Again, GitHub sounds like really the place to go. Am I correct? So we don't have any sort of accounts or anything. You can simply just go to mtgjson.com, click on the Downloads tab, and you'll see all the possibilities. There are 512 unique files with all different information you can download from. In addition to that, if you want to help contribute back to the project or you want to file a bug report or have a suggestion, you go right onto our GitHub page. If you're on the website, you just click Contribute. It'll pull you right to our project, and you just click new issue. And from there, one of us will respond to you 
usually within 12 to 24 hours. Perfect. So before we leave the more uh, more diving into the feature sublist, is there premium features? Again, it's an open source tool, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily free. Is there cost to this? If so, what's the cost look like? That's what I really love about this project. There's no paywall, no hidden features, no anything. The Patreon supporters who support me, the only advantage they have is they have direct communication with me, and I'll respond to them practically within five minutes. Just It gives people who want the edge and have financial means to contribute back and help me continue building the best product. Perfect. Do you guys have Discord, or is it just, uh, again, connect on, on GitHub? Uh, MTGJSON does have a Discord. If you go to mtgjson.com slash Discord, or just click the Talk to Us button on the top bar, you'll pop right up. We're a community of 1,200 people, and we all just love chatting, having a good time about magic, and understanding what kind of things you can do with data when you put your mind to it. Perfect. Next question would be... I, any good developer doesn't have just one project they work on. And of course, you're, you have a, a bunch that you've told me before, but I want to highlight one of them. You have uh, built a tool called Draft, that's dr4ft.info. Tell us a little bit about that product. The Drafters tool is another tool I've somewhat inherited from about four different prior people, which is really the nature of open source. It gets passed from one generation to the next, always in on it, which is what I love. But getting back to it, Drafter is one of the best ways to draft any set in Magic's history, custom cubes, anything you want to do. You just throw it right in the site, send the link to your friends, and have fun with it. My biggest, well, the best thing I'm thrilled about for this year, we added support for custom cards. So the custom standard community and the custom Magic community have a place where they can upload files and draft their custom sets. So for those that don't know, custom sets are definitely uh, used in a lot of these, you know, specific Reddit communities, a lot of niche communities where people take time and they try to develop their own, you could say, block of magic. And I've seen a lot of creativity come from these. I, my personal favorite, I can't remember what it was called. It was some cyberpunk um, set that they built and it was pretty big on Reddit. And it was, again, 254 cards. And it was a whole theme, like it was in some sort of, you know, cyberpunk, you know, post-apocalyptic city. And it had these fun keywords. Um, it was upload, where you put it into exile, and it works like a suspend mechanic. And it just gives a lot of freedom and creativity where they can use their own cards and try to play with their friends uh, online with, the, with stuff that they've, you know, interpreted as a fun draft project. And then have a place for, you know, artists to try to do renditions or interpretations of the card it's amazing if you have time to go on certainly check them out they're on a lot of different reddit communities do you know of any particular off the top of your head zach for the specific community yeah so maybe a subreddit i guess i should uh i will post that on our social media for some of these uh communities that i find on reddit i cannot remember off the top of my head but they're certainly worth a look you'll see a lot of custom card communities or custom artwork communities get into whole custom sets that they built the biggest one I know of is the Custom Magic Discord group, which has so many people. They have two different rooms where people just keep posting cards, and then they have a bunch of set rooms where people are undertaking building their own sets. It's a fantastic group of people. I've worked with several of the administrators over time. They're a lovely bunch. Awesome. So again, with this tool, 
you, you've inherited it four times because that is the uh, the nobility of open source when you want to dedicate time into a, a project. So what new features for, let's go back to the MTG JSON are coming out. Can you give us any exclusive hints on uh, something up and coming? I can give you a few small things. With MTG JSON, we're currently working on upgrading our builds to be continuous integration. That means that whenever a change is made to the code, it'll build right away, getting the latest data out to our users. And we hope to have that up in the next month or so. From there, we're also going to be looking at adding European pricing data because a lot of users love how we support not only FOIL and non-FOIL, but we're going to also support European and digital pricing. Those are the biggest features on my plate right now, and I can't wait to bring them out to the community. Perfect. Well, you heard it here first, question mark? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a first. You always hear it first. Here. Excellent. Excellent. So how about other projects? Because it sounds like you're a creative guy, and you know what else that uh, you haven't told any people about uh, as far as outside of draft and MTG JSON? Is there something else that you're uh, looking to uh, get into that uh, you know won't affect the, uh, the work at hand? In addition to MTG JSON and Draft, I work on another project, and I'm not going to go into much detail or talk a lot, but many people know it as the Cockatrice Project. Everything I do is really magic-centric, which is both good and bad. I also contribute to a lot of hackathons, and I just try to have fun with the projects. A lot of the projects you see on the homepage for MTG JSON, I've contributed to in some way, because not only does the community help me, but I want to help them even further. And the positive feedback loop we get from this just makes some of the best things. And that's why I love this community so much. Well, fantastic. Is there anything else that we feel like we missed that you certainly want to highlight before we uh, end the podcast? The biggest thing I just bring up, uh, new people should totally check out and see what you can do with the data. Have fun with it. It's a great way to learn the code. And overall, if you are a fan of any of my works, please do feel free to support me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash mtgjson. Well, perfect. And just one more uh, one more piece. If they want to contribute to the project, again, they can help out if they are knowledgeable and go to the GitHub. But how can they donate money to the open source projects? All of the open source projects have a Patreon link and a PayPal link. But I'm not really in this for the money. If you want to contribute and buy me a cup of coffee, I love you for that. <laughs> However, if you know how to code and want to have fun, MTG JSON is based out of Python. Drafters is based out of Node.js. Cockatrice is based out of C++. Have fun with it. Try and learn a new language. See what you can pick up. Knowledge is power. Well, perfect. Maybe they can have the uh, you know next in line for when uh, you uh, want to move on to a different project for open source. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, Bacon, you got anything for us? Yeah. Um, well, not for him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the much, uh, cup of much, coffee you're going to give him later? I, I might give him a cup of coffee. I don't know. But uh, um, you can check me out on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash thebaconman218. Or you can hit me up on Facebook and Instagram at thebaconman218. Or on Twitter at thebaconman2181. I hate the one, but I can't get rid of it. They stole it. I can't get rid of it. So one last reminder for the listeners is, again, we're going to be um, collecting a bunch of cards. If you're in the Fargo, uh, North Dakota to St. Cloud, Minnesota range, reach out to us. Our contact information is on the bottom of the website, thisweekinmtg.com. And we're going to gather 
a bunch of cards, rares, bulk, whatever we have, and we're going to make a drive down to Rochester where they have the Magic uh, Kids charity, and hopefully we can do a podcast in the car. I tried to do uh, audio <laughs> test during rain. That's going to go very well. That was a, <laughs> That's going to go very well. <laughs> it'll be a bit rough, so we'll see what happens, but uh, we're going to go down there, and I'd like to get the interview with those guys and maybe even uh, do a fun, uh, fun draft. We'll see, but... If you have cards, certainly let us know. We'd love to uh, collect them and bring them down directly to Rochester. Yes. And again, the website for the charity is magickids.org, M-A-G-I-kids.org. It's not .com. I know, right? <laughs> it's an organization. It's an organization. <laughs> that was, it was the last podcast. <laughs> so thanks again, guys. I just want to make a, a call out. Please share this with your uh, friends. You know, find one or two buddies this week that you know love magic and, again, are fun, chillax people that want updates and hear from fun interviews like Zach. I'll see you guys next week. Cue the outro. Thanks for listening to our podcast. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me? I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, no. Seriously, follow guys. and subscribe or is it just follow? I, you know what? Subscribe, follow, like, share. It's, it's, oh my. it's on Spotify. It's already on Stitcher. We have the RSS feed on the website. Thisweekinmgd.com. That's us. Please share with your friends. Share it up. Outro done. <laughs>